I think prenatal yoga presented in a way that it's supposed to help the body in a sense that if someone comes with aches and pains, I want to know that those are so we can look at some asanas that can help remedy that. But then let's also look at what asanas are we doing that can actually overly tighten or create imbalance and honor that too. And we don't want that imbalance. We know it's going to lead to a harder birth. So do prenatal yoga, yes, but be mindful of what that looks like. Welcome to the One Strong Mama podcast, the no BS show that's not afraid to get real about all things pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and beyond. We're talking with visionaries who are challenging the status quo and changing the world one pregnancy and one birth at a time. I'm Lindsay McCoy, mama four, exercise physiologist, doula, and childbirth educator. My passion is making pregnancy, childbirth, and recovery better. And I'm also passionate about coconut LaCroix. And I'm Lauren O'Hayan, a mom of three girls, lover of all things tropical. I have never had coconut LaCroix. And I am known for my work with the core and pelvic floor. Deb Flaschenberg is a prenatal yoga teacher, Lamaze childbirth educator, labor support doula, and a self-proclaimed birth and anatomy geek, my favorite kind of geek. In 2003, Deb attended her first birth as a DONA certified labor support doula and has attended over 100 births. Deb is also a regular contributor to New York Family. I read that as New York Fit Family. New York Family Magazine and Mommy Bites as a birth and prenatal yoga expert. And she has been published in the book Doulas, Chapter 7, Midwifery Today, Doula International, the Lamaze International blog, Birthing with Confidence, among many others. That is really impressive. I would like your PR person's name. (laughs) For the past 12 years, she has had the honor of training hundreds of new prenatal teachers as they start on their own journey to supporting new and expectant parents. Deb's curiosity and desire to continuously learn about pregnancy, birth, and parenthood has led her to her own podcast, which is called Yoga Birth Babies. Amazing. I'm so happy you're here because I feel like our paths are really crossed and we're both New Yorkers and um, I've, I mean, I've fled the city in the last four years, but it's really nice talking to you because you've been on my radar for a few years. I am so excited to speak with you too, because I have, you have floated around my atmosphere as well. So I'm really excited for us to dig in and talk about pregnancy and bodies and movement and yoga. It's really exciting. Thank you. Thank you. So we always start by asking our guests just to give us a little bit of um, their background from their own, like not a bio, but just like, (laughs) tell us, tell us about how you got to do it. You wear a lot of amazing hats. So we'd love to know how, you know, what's your evolution of, of that? You know, it's, it's a very strange evolution. A lot of people I speak to that are in the birth world came from it from their own birth. And I did not. I actually was a singer-dancer for years before I took into the whole yoga world. And I was doing um, a show and the choreographer used yoga asana for the warm-up. I'm like, oh, I like this thing. So I continued in <laughs> yoga. And I took a very small break into Bikram yoga, which was how I started. It's kind of like my dirty yoga secret. And oh, very- I'm not going to tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's it was during that training that I'm like, this, this isn't, this isn't okay. And so I came back for me, some people love it. It wasn't okay for me. I came back and I was like, Oh, I don't know what to do. So somebody happened to mention prenatal yoga. Now my mom who does marketing was like, Oh my God, absolutely. Because people are always going to be pregnant. <laughs> and I was, I don't know, maybe 27 at the time, 26, 27. So I'm like, I wasn't having kids, a singer, dancer, none of my friends were having kids. So I went out and I found a program. I got trained in that. And then I just kind of hung my shingle and started prenatal yoga center. And while I was there within my first year, one of my students was doing her fellowship at a hospital and she was doing her OB fellowship. And she's like, do you want to see some births? And I was thinking, I do. I really do. Because all I knew from there was what I read in books and what people told me. So that was a real pivotal part in all of this because from going to a hospital and watching what I'll put in quotes, kind of typical births, I was realizing what I was teaching in an asana class, yes, it was modified, 
for the pregnant body, but it wasn't really enhancing their trajectory of how to have a functional birth. It really wasn't setting the stage. So that really kind of riled me up. So I became, I said, I went out and became a doula. So I'm like, okay, let's really get in there and figure out what's going on in the births so I can help share this information. And then also because I didn't have kids and I was having people say like, how can you really understand the birth world? Um, I put the hat on like, well, I will get better educated. So that's when I got Lyme certification. <laughs> and then I went down to the farm and I did the farms with um, a whole midwifery program there. And I did a midwifery assistant. And then eventually I had my own kids. And that was a turning point because my first birth was so dysfunctional. I was everything we're going to talk about. Like <laughs> I was out of balance. I was too tight. I was like that crazy. Do you ever go to the gym or go into spin class and see like this super pregnant person still doing stuff you know was wrong? I was that person. You know, <laughs> we right. all know that. I was that person. And it, you don't know what you don't know though, right? I, but I should have known better. I really should have known better. <laughs> and, and I had a really hard birth. And it was from that rehab of that that I really changed my whole philosophy, that it's not just childbirth education and yoga, which I do, but it's really how can the yoga help support the pregnant person to have a functional birth? So that's really where I am today. And I continued my education. Um, I've been studying Iyengar for the last and maybe 15 years. Um, I did a pelvic floor uh, teacher training with Leslie Howard. So I really try to educate myself as much as possible to help the students. So everyone wants to have a functional birth. No one wants that long, arduous birth and then be in PT for you know months after. So that that was a long story, but that's where I am. That's how no, I got here. It's so it's so crazily similar to what I do and what I have done because I and you say you should have known better, but we live in a culture where the hashtag fit pregnancy, like be a badass, you know, you don't have to change anything. Just keep doing what you're doing during pregnancy is really glorified. And yeah. it's really, and you know, you were a dancer and dancing is very, can cut, you need a lot of tension and dancers. The whole mind, like the whole, like as a dancer performer, like what the body looks like. I had a really hard time surrendering to what I knew. Like I knew about the pelvic floor. I was teaching that, but I had yeah. a really hard time surrendering the ego. Like I was, you know, I just had a big belly and these skinny little arms and legs, you know? So as you say, visually that whole fit pregnancy, yeah, I looked that, but wow, did it do a number on that hypertonic pelvic floor? And I'm sure my yeah. psoas was super tight. So, so well, I'm it's so interesting. I get emails. I just got an Instagram message from a prenatal yoga teacher, like just this morning. And she was like, I don't understand why Mula Bandha, which is, um, which means like pelvic floor contraction um, in Sanskrit. So I don't understand why Mula Bandha shouldn't be done all the time. Like that doesn't make sense to me. And it's and so that, interesting. How'd that answer go? <laughs> Yeah, no, I just try to educate. I'm, listen, I, I used to definitely come from a place of like, why are, why don't you know anything? Now I just come from a place of like, of, like, of course you don't know. Like, first of all, a lot of what's thought about Mula Bandha was like introduced by men. Mm -hmm. And the second of all, we treat the pelvic floor in a similar way that we treat, like if, if, if it's stronger, it's better. So let's figure out how to make it strong, quote unquote. And so- mm -hmm. Definitely. But it, it is so interesting how when people say to me, oh, but I've taken a pelvic floor training. I'm always like, uh-huh. And with who? Like how? And what was what was the overarching kind of philosophy there? Is it the stronger your pelvic floor, the better? Because I don't know about you, but like anecdotally, a lot of my yoga teacher friends struggle to have vaginal births because their pelvic yeah. floor is not functional. Absolutely. I hear that a ton. Um, I actually listened to a podcast a couple of years ago of a well-known yoga teacher. And she was just like, I could have written the birth out. I'm like, I, I know where this is going because, you know, it's anecdotal, but there is something very common. You know, it's just, it happens way too much. Everyone's engaging, engaging. And what we're teaching, I know what you teach is, you know, we need that spring-like pelvic floor. That was something mm -hmm. Leslie, really, Leslie Howard, who I did my training with, really leaned into, you know, that tighter is not better. Stronger is mm -hmm. not better. It's about the balance that, you know, that kind of trampoline, um, like shock absorbers of the body. 
Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think that we, there's so much educating we have to do. So basically we wanted to start our conversation by, I mean, we've already gone down to the pelvic floor. Let's, <laughs> let's bring it up a little bit. Yeah. Uh, we want, <laughs> we're going to save the best for laugh. No, but okay. really, you know, I come from a yoga background. I was trained in New York city in uh, to the year 1999. I started teaching in 2000 and I used to believe that prenatal yoga was like the best thing for every pregnant person's body. And now I'm like, I don't even, I don't even know if what I teach is called you. I mean, it's not really yoga anymore. So I'm curious, like, we want to know, like, we know you teach yoga. Uh, what does that look like? What is in your opinion? Because again, people take these blanket statements, but all yoga is good. So prenatal yoga is good. So where do you, what's your opinion there? Um, I think it kind of, it reminds me of what you were saying about, oh, I took a pelvic floor training, but you're like, but with who? So I think we need to look at that as well with prenatal yoga. You know, what are they teaching? What's the philosophy? Just putting the word prenatal before it, what does that mean? <laughs> and I like also what you were saying, like what you teach, is it yoga? I, I've been telling our teacher training trainers or trainees that what we teach is more like an homage to yoga, um, like an honoring of it. It's definitely... Mm -hmm not what I'd call classic asana. In fact, I always joke like Mr. Yanger is like rolling over in his grave because we, we really do use essences of yoga, but we use it more to look at how can we balance the body instead of I have to stick to yoga. So I think what we teach, I think that methodology really honors the body, but just calling it prenatal yoga, I think you have to again step back and say, what are they teaching? what is the underlying philosophy is just modifications of a strong class. And they're saying, okay, just don't twist as deeply or just don't do, you know, a full back bend. You know, I think we have to step back and examine what that means. So I think prenatal yoga presented in a way that it's supposed to help the body in a sense that if someone comes with aches and pains, I want to know that those are so we can look at some asanas that can help remedy that. But then let's also look at what asanas are we doing that can actually overly tighten or create imbalance and honor that too. And we don't want that imbalance. We know that's going to lead to a harder birth. So do prenatal yoga, yes, but be mindful of what that looks like and who's teaching it and what their background is and what their philosophy is. That was mm -hmm. a bit of a runaround. <laughs> yeah, well, no, that's I, super yeah. smart. In, in you know, our... I, Go ahead. Lauren. I was just going to say that in our, um, our professional training, which is called body ready method, and it's not a yoga teacher training. It's more, I loved what you were saying before about how you became a doula because you wanted to understand more about how to get to the birth, like how to have a functional birth. And that's exactly what Lindsay and I are all about. Like stacking the cards in your favor yeah. is a term that we use a lot. And so we've created this online training body ready method just to help professionals understand that there, there's a lot that goes into creating that functional body. So I'm curious if you have a set of pillars or if there's some concepts that you could dive into that, because it sounds like you do a similar thing. Like it's, it's not just a yoga pose for the sake of the yoga pose, but that right. there's this intelligence behind your sequencing. So I'm curious if you can elaborate more on um, yeah. what you're looking to achieve as you're helping somebody prepare their body. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. That's why I was so excited about this conversation. Like we have such similar juicy philosophies. All right. So there's a few things we want to be mindful. One of my favorite muscles, which I think is not often looked upon is the psoas. Oh, I love the psoas. So um, goes from the lesser trochanter. I'm just going to give a quick anatomy lesson for our friends out there. Will you um, say where those parts are then? Will oh, you sure. Speak English? <laughs> Will you speak English while you speak anatomy? Yeah. All right, so you've got your femur bone, that's your thigh bone. The lesser trochanter is kind of, I don't know, a better word, nubbin, <laughs> like a little bony protrusion, mm -hmm. um, more towards the inner. Uh, so you have the greater trochanter, of any, all pregnant people probably know that. That's like that big bony protrusion on the outer hip. So if you're sleeping on your side and you wake up with your hips burning, that is likely your greater trochanter. So the lesser is on the inner, more inner. And the, and the psoas, the muscle, is going to connect from there, kind of meet up in the pelvis and then go with the iliacus and go to L4. That's one of your lower, lum, uh, one of your lower lumbar um, back discs. And then it runs up to T12, which is your 12th thoracic, kind of mid-back. And it, it runs, it's considered as an anterior abdominal and it cradles the uterus. So uh, people also call it the hip flexor. And if it's really tight, 
it can actually push the uterus forward and then the baby can get malpositioned. Was that, was that plain English? Was that, did that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I like to talk about the psoas as being the only muscle that collects your, connects your leg to your spine, like yeah. your leg to your torso. Yeah. yeah. And it's like a little, I kind of visualize it like, like a little waterfall that cradles the baby and can kind of guide the baby out. And so many of us, especially now during quarantine, we're, we're home a lot more mm-hmm. and there's a lot of sitting. So we also think we're sitting a lot and we know the pregnant spines, the curves exaggerate. So we get more of that anterior tip and that can all tighten the psoas. So if the psoas is pushing the uterus forward, it can actually create a little displacement for the baby. And then the baby can not necessarily... Um, effectively push the cervix open if it's if it's malpositioned. So just simply looking at the psoas and cre- trying to create balance in there. Um, so that's one of the main muscles that we work on. Um, not overstretching, but just making it juicy and supple. We also look at the bony pelvis and make sure, you know, certain yoga asana can actually make SI, a sacroiliac pain, um, greater, like warrior one. So we look at, okay, we've got this pose, but now we've got some of the issues of the pregnant body. So how can we change it to support that? So we do a lot with the psoas for balance. We do a lot with the bony pelvis for balance. We do a lot with the pelvic floor for balance. Um, so we do a lot about like lifting and widening the sit bones um, through an internal rotation. So that's gonna get some nice pelvic floor length. Um, we look at different type of squatting toes turned forward, toes turned out, and how that affects the pelvis and the pelvic floor. So we really take the anatomy and the physiology of the pregnant body and try to then find yoga poses that can support that and to create uh, an opening so that we're not too tight, not too loose. Right. And I've noticed a lot of prenatal yoga is very into externally rotating and yanking like the idea is i want more space in my pelvis so i'm just gonna stretch 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 do you tend to see that or have you you we actually what's really interesting the beginning of our teacher training i we have to talk about what the difference between internal and external and truly not just the idea because you'll hear people say like the inner spiral the outer spiral so we actually look a lot at internal rotation Um, Because a lot of people don't realize that when you internally rotate your legs, you're widening your sit bones. Absolutely, yeah. Birthing, you don't want to be on your back with your toes turned out and your knees towards your armpits because you're actually taking your sit bones closer together. So we really focus on finding the range of motion, but a lot of internal rotation. I think it's because a lot of people think like Baddha Konasana, they see that as like, oh, this goddess pose. And and that's a deep external rotation. And that can also be hard on the, the sacroiliac joints. So oh, yeah, it totally gaps the SI joint. Yeah. Yeah. So you're totally right. Like a lot of people, and that's not just prenatal. I think a lot of yoga teachers just think like hip openings only external, but they're not honoring the internal, the external, the flexion, the extension, the abducting, the adducting. So we really want to find that range of motion. But we do a lot of, like, we like make poses up to find internal rotation. Same. I love the internal rotation. And you know, even during birth, I will take someone and I will internally rotate their femur in when their baby is low, when their baby's high, then you need more external rotation. But as baby drops down through the pelvis, we really want to get into that internal rotation. And if somebody has never been there, they're not just magically going to give birth and all of a sudden be like, oh, look, I have all this range of motion. Like, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Lamaz has this saying, squeeze the knees, birth with ease. I love that because the idea, like when you actually draw your knees together, wide in the sit bones, you're making more space. And that can be done with an epidural. You can be on your side. You can drop your knee. You can lift your ankle like, like a peanut ball type of thing. Yeah, yeah. totally. It's crazy. Um, I, I The older and wiser I get, (laughs) the more anti-stretching I become. Right. And it's, again, one of those things where I feel like yoga is synonymous with stretching and then stretching is synonymous with equals an easier birth. And there seems to be this prevailing thought that the more flexible you are, the easier your birth will be. And there's like a lot of focus on hip opening. And, you know, we were just talking about hip opening, but do you, you know, when, when, when people, people will come to me all the time and say, I'm so not flexible. I'm worried about my birth. 
I'm wondering how do you, and of course my answer is always like, well, it's all relative, right? Relative flexibility. And I'm curious where you fall on this. Oh yeah. I mean, not in your own body, but in your teaching. Yeah. I mean, I will, like, I even tell them, I said, like, I'm probably one of the most flexible people you'll see, but I had a really hard birth. So it's not about hypermobility. Um, we, you know, if we're going to stretch, it's going to be more of an active stretch. I mean, we do some passive things with, well, like a soup to, uh, soup that one can visualize they're well supported on a bolster. The knees are supported. So it's not just passive and drawing down. Can you just so, describe that pose just sure, for people absolutely. who don't know the yoga terms? Yeah. All right. So, okay. So imagine you're sitting up tall and then you have a bolster or some sort of pillow behind you, giving you about a 45 degree angle. And then you'll take the soles of your feet together and your knees apart. And I like to wrap a blanket around the ankles and the shins so that, again, they're not passive or even wrap a couple blankets underneath the knees. And then someone's lower back will be against the bolster. And then they use your arms, not your abs, to climb back. But that said, those listening, if you do have certain issues like SI issues, sacroiliac issues, or a breech baby or a placenta previa, that's not the pose for you. So even from the get-go, we have to be mindful of what someone comes to the mat with. But like a Supdhavada Konasana, that reclined goddess pose with, with propage, it can be nice because, again, you're not just passive stretching, we're supporting. And it's a great place to you know, connect to one's breath and start to work on some, some pranayama or, or uh, breath exercises and, um, and also connect to the baby. Yeah, I wasn't saying, I definitely feel like uh, expectant people need to relax. <laughs> I just think, that, again, there seems, that for me, the myth is that yoga is good for a pregnant person because it helps them be more flexible, which will help their no. birth. And Lindsay and I are always educating people on like, that's, that doesn't actually, there's, it doesn't, no. one thing doesn't equate to the other. You're hundred percent right. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. Flexibility. In fact, most of the people that have a lot of range of motion, they tend to be hypermobile and need to work on more stability. Mm -hmm. totally. um, and in general, I feel like when we can find stability in the body, especially when we know with all those hormones that are making the body a little, little more relaxed and a little juicier, we, if we get the stability, then we can find mobility. We don't want to just find flexibility for the sake of you know, overstretching. Right. Totally. That's definitely a myth that comes up. And I think it comes up with prenatal yoga is the more flexible I am, the easier my birth will be. And then the second one, and I probably get at least half a dozen emails about this a week is that, well, why are we like, I was told in my prenatal yoga teacher training that I should not twist. <laughs> so I want to hear what you think about that one. I want to hear what you think about twisting. Okay. Um, first of all, I've heard that too from other people. And I actually had a student who took an, a type of abdominal, I'm not going to say the name, but a type of, there was someone that had like an abdominal um, mother workout and she was told never twist. And the student would not twist. She wouldn't even twist her neck. Like she was almost <laughs> robotic in her actions. And I'm like, oh, your poor back. Um, I think you have to know how to twist. Um, you know, it's not the time to deeply churn your belly, but a twist above the belly can feel great um, between the shoulder blades. So I think that's, I think it's, you know, a nice gentle twist. Again, we're not looking for like, um, like getting your elbow across your knee. First of all, where would you have the space with your yeah. <laughs> belly? You know, do that I, anyway. no, but so I call, I cue it above the bra strap line, keep baby pointing forward, but enjoy a twist of your upper back. I mean, cause it gets so stiff. Right. I mean, it's a functional movement. My issue, you know, we, our life is not in one plane of movement. You're not a robot. We're not robots. So if you are never finding a twist and I'm not like, like you, I'm not saying crank yourself into the deepest twist possible, but the ability to rotate your spine is very is important. important. And let's say I have to quickly rotate to catch my following toddler, or mm -hmm. I don't know. There's there's many instances in life where we may need to quickly go into a movement. If you haven't been in that movement for six months, mm -hmm. that's you know people say like all of these reasons why twisting isn't safe. But then when I whenever I've talked to someone about it usually it was those really quick, sudden twists that were the ones that caused issues. So if we are 
training our body to be able to safely experience rotation throughout pregnancy, Mm -hmm. to me, that makes us more safe if, you know, some event happens where we have to suddenly find that position. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't think, I think some people can take it too far. Yeah. And it's also, it's uncomfortable. Just if your muscles are going to get stiff, they're going to atrophy. You need to have functional movement. Yeah. You're much more at risk by not twisting than by twisting is my opinion. Personally. But it's a big myth. It's a huge myth. And I think people are scared to move during pregnancy. There's either, there's two, there's two sides of it. There's the people you talk about who are like, badass fit fit pregnancy. I'm going to keep doing everything I was already doing, Mm -hmm. ignore this pregnancy, so to speak. And then there's the people who are scared to do anything because they don't want to injure themselves. Yes. It's the middle ground. I'm a teacher. I studied at Omioga when I was in the city and my teacher, Cindy Lee, I always talked about the middle path. And we talk about that when we're teaching teacher training that, well, can you go on Instagram and see some, what I'm going to you know, just it's not like crazy movements as a pregnant person. Yes. You know, will you, can, can your body do it? Yes, they can. Should your body do it? That's another story. And then you're going to have people that, you know, just take it super easy um, or just think you shouldn't do anything. I think there's the middle path and that's what we try to teach. And, and also think about why we're on that middle path. Like why would want, why is it maybe not the, the most intelligent choice to take this to the either extreme? This episode is brought to you by the One Strong Mama program, the game-changing prenatal and postnatal program that prepares the body for pregnancy, birth, and beyond. Based on the Body Ready Method, teaching birth and fitness pros how to assess and train prenatal clients. Go to onestrongmama.com to learn more. Absolutely. Can I ask you, anecdotally speaking, Sure. your yoga teacher yoga community and yoga teachers have do you see that that community because there's such heavy emphasis on pelvic floor contraction do you see do you have you experienced that that community struggles more with childbirth do you see any correlation or not at all i do i actually do um i've been doing iyengar mainly and they don't talk a ton about mula bandha but i've had friends that have really stuck with a stronger practice like an Ashtanga type of practice, um, or even just, you know, sometimes, and I'm not trying to badmouth it, but like Pilates, where they're always like pulling navel to spine. Um, I do see that creating more, more dysfunction. Again, it's all anecdotal, but I, I have heard um, a, lot of, a lot of friends I've had have had really, really challenging births. And again, I was in that category. So the friends I've had that have had that, and, and myself included in the second births, took a very different path. Um, I, I saw a lot of body work and I know my friends have, and that have had a challenging first birth, um, a lot of physical therapy, just a lot of stepping back and seeing what was going on that first time that maybe we can change the second time. So yeah, I do think that idea of, but yeah, I'm hoping, I'm hoping it changes. And I will say like, again, most of my, my friends that do yoga in that anger and they don't talk a lot about more about it, but I do hope mm-hmm. it changes. So let's say like uh, theoretically, Jessica comes to you for a class or a session. She comes to your center and she says, I um, had a really hard vaginal delivery. My pelvic floor didn't want to yield. I am looking to do things different. How, what do you suggest I do this time around for my pelvic floor? Because I think there's also like this idea of like, well, if it was too tight before, let's just completely relax it, which is also, like you were saying, a different end of the extreme and uh, the spectrum. So if somebody comes to you with that question of how do you do it different? Like why, what do you do in your approach to encourage the pelvic floor to be um, responsive or to be not too tight or how would you respond? Uh, a few ways. One, uh, I'm all about knowing my scope and when to refer out. So I love sending them to a pelvic floor PT just because they also don't know necessarily what their pelvic floor state is. So I say go, and luckily in New York City, we have so many. Um, I know in other parts of the country, people are like, where am I gonna find a pelvic floor PT? (laughs) So first I'll say like, okay, let's find out really what the state of your pelvic floor is because you can also be relaxed but tight. Like you can have a weak pelvic floor and have it tight. 
So we need to get that sense. So, you know, find a pelvic floor PT, let's figure it out. But then really approaching that we want the full range of motion. So we, if it was overly tight, let's work with breath, let's work with lengthening so that we can find some length and then also make sure there is that support. So when that person comes, yeah, refer them out, hear what the PT says, and then make sure we get both sides of the, of the whole range of motion. Any specific ways that you encourage that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we do a lot of pelvic floor training in the class. So um, <laughs> we, I mean, that's, that's integrated in. So kind of going back to what I said earlier about the, we do a few things. We do um, a, a lot of forward leaning inversions. I don't even have to describe it. It's kind of made up. I took this off the, if anyone knows the spinning babies methodology. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah um, it's a great one. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Very so, well. <laughs> I steal some from from there lovingly. Thank you, Gail Tully, for for letting. Well, me it's actually it's actually from dynamic body balancing. So that forward leaning inversion was created by Dr. Carol Phillips. Great. So well, that's the you. original. That's the originator <laughs> of that technique. Yeah. All right. So we we do take a lot of that, and then we add a lot of the internal rotations. So if you can imagine, your feet are pretty wide. Maybe I know. Maybe three, three and a half feet. And then we find the internal rotations. Now we're getting the sit bones lifted. So that's going to help create length in the pelvic floor. And then there's, it's like a down dog meets a wide forward lean. So then the upper body is leaning forward. So I do a lot of that. Um, that's going to help balance the pelvic ligaments and some of the uterine ligaments, and then also stretch the pelvic floor. So that's a great one to find some length. And then a lot of breath work. You know, if someone teaching someone also how to breathe, is that person... Um, I call it a backwards breather. I think their real name is paradoxical breather. You know, is that person, how is their breathing? Um, are, they, are they consciously overly tightening? So we go back to just normal, how can we breathe? How we can find diaphragmatic breathing without forceful breathing? So then I sometimes, depending on the student in the class, this is something I learned from Leslie Howard. You can either take a rolled yoga mat or a rolled yoga strap, and you put it basically at your perineum, and you want to make sure that when you think you're toning, you're not actually bulging. Because a lot of people think they're drawing up and they're actually pushing down. So then stepping back and be like, okay, can we find that, the image I use like a jellyfish, use that undulation. So can we find that ability to relax on the inhale and then the ability to dome on the exhale? And that's where the, the feedback of the strap or the yoga mat, you're actually having against the perineum, you can tell if you're lifting away or not. So then I back it, you know, so I'll do some of that forward leaning inversion, lengthen the pelvic floor. I might just do some diaphragmatic breathing just to free up the diaphragm, make sure that when someone inhales, things are expanding, when they exhale, they're deflating. And then if they're still, if we really need to figure out what's going on with the pelvic floor, get some feedback of either the mat or the strap so they can tell what's going on. So, but again, I always tell them these, I can't assess. I'm not there to assess their pelvic floor. I'm going to give them some exercises that can give them the range of how to relax and how to tone. But I do, I send them, I do want to send them out. Is that answering your question? Yeah. I'm like, am I asking you way too many questions about the pelvic floor? No, <laughs> I think it's good. And I think people want to know. <laughs> yeah. People want to know because here's the thing. Most of the time, what prenatal exercise is, is normal exercise modified but it's not actually exercise preparing you for the event that you are preparing for. Right. And that's why I love it. Like I'm so type A, I have an end result. My end result right. is for them to have a good birth. Right. Exactly. And I, it's, and you know, I, I sometimes will also get the question, well, I'm, I'm planning a cesarean. So should I care about all of this? Yeah. What's your answer to that? Yes. <laughs> I'm sure yes. it's the same as mine. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Because I mean, also when you have a cesarean, they're cutting the fascia, which connects, you know, it's all like a big saran wrap around your body. So when they cut one thing, it affects something else. But also if someone's having a cesarean, even then, if it's a belly birth, they still carry the weight of that baby on their pelvic floor with all those hormones. Actually, you know, yeah. for 37 to 42 weeks. So their pelvic floor still had a lot of work to do. And, you know, they're cutting the abdominal muscles. So that's going to affect the, you know, that's going to compromise also the support, the whole core support. So yes, it doesn't matter where that baby comes out. <laughs> you need to care for a, a balanced body. Right. Yeah. It's so, I love the idea of, um, I like what you said, both of you about how preparing your body with the exercises as opposed to just doing modified exercises. But I just think that 
that is not the culture that we live in. That is not how people don't go seeking a practitioner to say, you know, they're, they're more just like, make me look the same afterwards. Right. Yeah. Or, or they this pregnancy for my body. They, they think they know they want a great birth. They know they want to stack the cards in their favor for sure. I think every birthing person wants to feel great no matter yes. how they birth and they yeah. want a great outcome. I think that not every birthing professional, like all of us, doulas and teachers. And I think that not all of us are on the same page with how we talk about birth preparation. Right. No, I hear you. And that's why I think the work that you guys do and the work that I do is so important to continue to get out there because someone can still feel great and look great, but be functional and balanced. You know, I think that's the, the other step is trying to get more and more practitioners that can still deliver someone looking in the mirror and be like, yeah, I'm healthy, I'm toned, but do it in a way that's not going to damage the person. Because, you know, the yeah. more they, the more imbalance they create, like, again, I'm going to refer back to my birth, but I looked very fit, but it caused me more time to get back to the exercise I wanted to, because my pelvic floor had to rehab so much. So I also try to remind people, like, the more damage you cause, the longer it's going to take for recovery. Exactly. And, you know, I think that's why we really wanted our podcast to focus on the birth professionals and speaking to them because change, we, we can start this change. We can start telling people, oh, there is something you can do to prepare your body for this. It's not just, you know, we hear about choosing the right provider and, you know, taking your childbirth ed, hiring your doula, but there's not as much talk about preparing your body. Yeah. I think it's all about preparing your body and your mind. Yeah, um, for sure. You need yeah. both. Yeah, we do. That's another um, segment of the prenatal yoga that I, I hope other um, styles or practitioners do is we can use the asana also to raise our threshold of reaction. I think that's a right. Part. You know, like sensation, I'll even use the word pain. It's okay safely because birth is likely going to have some. It's a very pain. strong experience. So, you know, learning how to kind of lean into it and work with it. That's where we can, that's another the part of the, the whole yoga aspect is, you know, conscious relaxation. It doesn't mean conscious like this. It doesn't mean that you're just laying there. Like, but can you consciously relax within a strong experience? Cause I mean, that's birth, that's parenthood. Right. <laughs> totally. Strong my pandemic hood. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. My favorite that I remember, and this was me, I did so much prenatal yoga with my second um, for my second pregnancy, my favorite was sitting in the goddess pose. So this is like wide legs dropping down into a squat, uh, like a high squat hands mm -hmm. up in the air and just sitting there and breathing. And then when I started teaching prenatal yoga, telling people like, just breathe through this, uh, the stronger it gets, the more your brain relaxes. So it's really cool and really important. I love that you brought up like the mind preparation being part of the body preparation. Cause we can't, take our mind and body away from each other. They are yeah. intimately connected. So if yeah. you can, as a practitioner, weave them together as you prepare someone, that is amazing. Absolutely. Yeah, we do something similar. I call it the mock contraction. It's basically mm. a wall sit. Um, like you're leaning against the wall, um, like a wall squat. And you're leaning and you kind of go into like, like you're sitting into a chair and I hold it for 60 seconds. And yeah. I actually talk, because that's you know, your average contraction. And then I actually talk the students through I time it 60 seconds. So, and then I talk to them like I would a doula client and, yes. and see that you can be uncomfortable, but that you can work with it and you can really explore. Am I someone that closes my eyes? Am I someone that keeps my hands open? Do I go towards mantras? Do I go to counting my breath? Do I want to move? So it really builds that bucket of that toolkit of when you're uncomfortable, instead of freaking out, which, you know, it's easy to do, trust me, I remember getting angry at my contractions at one point, but, you know, noticing that we have tools, even when we might not want to be experiencing something. So important. So important. I cannot stress that enough. If somebody is teaching any form of prenatal movement, get the mind part involved, mm -hmm. right? Like do not separate it. We can be so mechanical in the way that we teach exercise sometimes. And I think we, that's one of the parts of yoga that I love is it's much more fluid where you're moving with your breath and it's mm -hmm. a lot, it, it relates very well to 
the birthing process and kind of the flows of labor. Yeah. So I do want to say also though, my caveat here, because we're talking a lot of yoga Mm -hmm. and Lindsay and I serve a lot of really either very, very, very religious communities, whatever religion they are. And people often write to us and say, is it yoga? Because I'm not allowed to do yoga. And so I do want to say that even though we're using the word yoga and we're talking a lot about, you know, yoga poses or even having some, you know, Sanskrit names, that a lot of these techniques that Deb is talking about are things that do not have to do anything with yoga. It's, it's really the techniques of being able to calm down your mind or focus on your breath. Like they don't have to be attributed to being yoga techniques. And if you're doing them, you're not necessarily doing yoga. So if you are a doula or anybody, a birth professional who works with very religious people, just note that they might not be comfortable with that. I don't know if you've come across that, Deb, but we've come across we've had a lot of resistance. Don't forget, we, we're not living in New York City. <laughs> you know, we, we are, we're selling online and a lot of our clientele are being, you know, they're coming from all backgrounds and um, they do not want to hear, many of them do not want to hear the word yoga or think that they're doing yoga. So. Yeah, I totally, I 100% understand. We do have um, a strong Hasidic Jewish population that does come. And, and they, as yoga issues we get, is like I ohm at the beginning and end, mainly also because it's great vibration for your voice and for your throat. And, you know, throat relates to pelvic floor. But people don't, we never force it. You know, we don't, we're not chanting. Like, I know there are some styles of prenatal yoga that like will chant to the mother God. And I'm like, that's not me. Um, that's not what I teach. So I think there is kind of this idea of like yoga and one must go to India and, you know, care um, pictures of Ganesha. Um, that's not, that's not really, um, what we do, but I do, you know, understand that. So again, you can talk about more like functional movement because it's pretty much the same of what we're saying. And it's, again, as I was mentioning, it's kind of yoga ish. Mm -hmm. It's like flowing movement. Yeah. Flows, movement flows. Yeah. I mean, because even that, like prenatal yoga, though, I think there are definitely some styles that are very heavy into what one would call like a traditional yoga that, you know, definitely falls into some of the more Hindu aspects. You know, they're doing lots of chanting, um, but that's not particularly what I do. So I think it's, you know, how different teachers approach. But I hear that, yes, some people are definitely going to have um, their feathers ruffled from the word yoga. Well, and some religious populations are forbidden from doing yoga. Like it is forbidden for doing. And yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. And so we have actually a teacher who's trained in Restore Your Core and her mom is a midwife and they both love OSM and Restore Your Core. But when they recommend it and when uh, Amy, this teacher, teaches it, she takes that, she, she renames exercise. First of all, I never use the word asana. I never use anything other than English to just like for me personally, but even the word triangle is considered yoga. Down dog, nope. Triangle, nope. So she has renamed all the exercises to teach. She teaches in a very Amish community. Uh, Mennonite, maybe Mennonite. No, Amish. And so she's had to rename everything and it works um, because in some cases yoga is so forbidden, (laughs) Um, which I understand. I do. I mean, I I don't, but I do, but you know what I mean? Um, Yes. Yeah. But my point is the technique. It's it's really less about the fact that we're doing yoga and more about the fact that these techniques are super effective. So like if you want to teach these techniques, you don't have to call it yoga. Correct. Yeah. Movement, functional movement. Sure. Let's move on. Yeah. Let's segue. I want to talk. Yeah. And we're we're going to wrap it up soon, but I want to last few questions. I want to ask you about your thoughts on the core system, Mm -hmm. diastasis recti. Do you think we can prevent it? Like what's your thoughts on? Oh, I have a lot of thoughts. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It could probably be a whole episode, but I'll try to keep it. I want to hear your opinion. So we try not to worsen diastasis. Um, So we don't do things like, like jackknifing up. We don't do poses, um, boat poses, also called Navasana. Um, You know, when it comes to, can you prevent diastasis? I think you can prevent worsening it 
from what I have talked to of the PTs and I like, I like solid information. I want studies. I have reached out to most, I've done multiple podcasts on this. I've talked to multiple people and I've gotten multiple answers. I've had some people say, everyone's going to get some sort of diastasis, but then we have to even look at the understanding of diastasis has even changed in the last few years. For a while, it was just like, how, how, what's the gap? How far apart is, your, is the gap? And then it started talking about, well, what's the consistency of the linea alba, that connective tissue? So I think it's, you know, I think we have to think there's going to be some sort of separation because the abs have to stretch. They have to expand for a, for a baby to be there. But what are we doing to that, that linea alba, that connective tissue? We can certainly worsen it and weaken it if we do a lot of uh, intra-abdominal pressure outward and if we do a lot of deep, deep, deep back bends, you know, pushing into it. So I think we have to be really respectful of core work. I think in, in uh, PYC, prenatal yoga center training, we do a ton of transverse abdominal work So because you do need to have some support. Um, we know when the abs and the back atrophy a ton, the psoas, what we talked about earlier, tries to kick in and overly help. So I think core is very important, but it's how you do core work. Like, is it time to be doing crunches or bicycles and like, you know, a ton of jackknives? No. Um, but I do think training the TA muscles can be incredibly important for, for posture, for pushing. We use, you know, we use the TA muscle, the transverse abdominals to push. And especially if we can create a relationship with them during pregnancy, if someone's medicated and they, are, they don't have sensation, and then you're asking them to use their core to push. They don't even know what what they what muscles those are. So I don't know if that answers it, but yes, I think there's you know, we need to be mindful of diastasis. We mean we need to not worsen it, but we do need to uh, mindfully, respectfully train the core. <laughs> I know we're running out of time, so I went really quickly. <laughs> no, that's exactly our approach. We do not take a no core at all approach. And we also don't take the approach of promising that people uh, can prevent diastasis because that is like, I don't even know what that is, but some people do do that. We definitely don't. So that yeah, was really helpful. Yeah, I think but you was, can stack yeah. the cards in your favor. If you can keep your core responsive, just like keeping your pelvic floor responsive, it's less prone to injury. Yeah. And then also being smart about how you are educated about how you move. Uh, I had a student who's coming, or I have a student who comes to class regularly. She was doing uh, CrossFit before. And she's like, I was doing all these jackknives and I kept noticing my belly kind of doming. I'm like, yeah, let's not do that. So, you know, it's educating on what movement can wor possibly worsen and then what can possibly support better. Yes, absolutely. I'm with you. Um, so before we say goodbye, yes, what is like the most cringy thing a prenatal <laughs> professional can do in your opinion. So we, we ask this to almost every guest where we're like, is there one thing that a prenatal, like for us, for me, it's always the Kegel thing, like, or the Mula Banda, like just do it. So is there one thing that ruffles your feathers that you would like birth professionals oh, to know? So okay. Okay. I know. Focus, I know. Focus, focus, focus. Um, okay. I'm going to tie two into one answer. <laughs> okay. Do it. Know your scope and never mm. promise how their birth's going to be. You can't Ooh. say you're doing my program and now your birth's going to be this. We don't know. Yes. That's so Do good. you hear people say that? Oh, I yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like oh this program um you do this program you're going to breathe your baby out. You do this <laughs> program and it's not going to hurt. You do this program and there's not going to be diastasis. Like and then yeah. also work within your scope and, and don't make promises. Like we don't know what birth's going to be like. You can, like, I love you said, like, stack the cards. You know, we, we think like prepare for birth plan ABCD. Like we don't know what it's going to be, but can we help you be able to pivot and be functional with whatever happens? I love yes. that. That's what was funny. the first part though? You said there was the first. Work within your scope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you mean I'm not a doctor? I actually, it took me a bit to really own that. Like we tell our, our teacher trainees all the time, like admit ignorance. Like yes, sometimes, yes. you know, we all, you and I, all three of us, we know a lot, yes. but we're not there to diagnose and we're not there with our, with our white coats. We're not doctors. We have a lot, we can offer support, but you know, we can't make promises. 
And yeah. you know, I think that takes the client's power away when we do, because I've seen people be like, I fixed their diastasis. You're like, no, you didn't. They, they healed themselves. You just supported their journey. Yeah. Or like my goal as a doula isn't to have people leave the birth and be like, Lindsay's amazing. It's yeah. for them to leave the birth and say, I'm amazing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We were just there to, you know, hold the space. Show yeah. The I sometimes I feel that. like we're there to offer the choices and they really make the decisions. Absolutely. I love it. Yeah. That. That's, a, that's a great way of phrasing it. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. There are like 30 things we talked about. Now I'm like, I need a podcast on each one of those with her. Yeah. And that's why you guys will come onto my podcast and then we will just dive deeper into it. Yeah. Where can people find you? Where, tell us all your, your places. Okay. Hmm. I should know this better because I have people that do some of it. All right. So we're on Instagram, prenatal yoga center. We are on Facebook, prenatal yoga center. I'm on Facebook under Deborah Flaschenberg. Um, then there's our, our whole website, prenatal yoga center.com. And then my podcast is yoga birth babies. And for those that are yoga teachers and want to study my methodology, I've got a full 85 hour teacher training, or if you're listening to this, you're like, I don't know if I really want the whole thing. I've got shorter little intros. One is called Who's Afraid of the Pregnant Yogi? That's for the yoga teacher that freaks out when their pregnant student walks in and they're like, what do I do with that person? I'm going to ignore that person. That's not the right answer. (laughs) (laughs) I have a short online training for that. And then I have a short online training. Same thing for the postnatal students called teaching the postnatal student. Again, these are short little trainings just so you don't ignore the student. Um, the, the bigger training, the bigger yoga training is my 85 hour and all of that's on, um, prenatalyogacenter.com. So awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us. It's been such a pleasure. So much much fun. I look forward to speaking with you guys again. Absolutely. Thank you you all for listening to the one strong mama podcast for birth professionals. If you haven't already, please leave us a rating and a review. We really do appreciate all of the support. If you are a birth worker with an inspiring client, or if you have a birth pro in mind that we should definitely chat with, please email us at podcast at onestrongmama.com. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram at onestrongmamaprenatal for tips for all stages of pregnancy. And definitely join in on the discussion in the One Strong Mama Facebook community group. See you here next time. This episode is brought to you by the One Strong Mama program, the game-changing prenatal and postnatal program that prepares the body for pregnancy, birth, and beyond. Based on the Body Ready Method, teaching birth and fitness pros how to assess and train prenatal clients. Go to onestrongmama.com to learn more.